Welcome to Global Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. With the emergency phase of the Ebola outbreak on the wane, various international organizations are now taking stock and thinking about strategies to prevent this kind of public health disaster from happening again. One thing that the Ebola crisis in West Africa clearly exposed in the three most affected countries were the inadequacies of the healthcare systems. That's the nuts and bolts of how healthcare is delivered in the three most affected countries. In today's episode, I speak with Save the Children CEO Carolyn Miles about a new report from Save the Children that indexes the relative strength of the healthcare systems of 72 poorer countries. This is the first time that this kind of ranking has been done. Save the Children puts out flagship reports that rank maternal and child health by country, but this is the first time they've done so for entire health systems. And in this interview, Miles explains her rationale behind the index, what countries can do to move up it, and why universal access to healthcare in poor countries is not some pie-in-the-sky dream, but an actual achievable goal. This is Carolyn Miles' second appearance on the podcast. She was my guest back in episode 16, in which she told me about her fascinating life story and the career path that brought her to Save the Children. Definitely check out that episode, and you can peruse our entire robust archive of long conversations with foreign policy thought leaders and luminaries at globaldispatchespodcast.com. So here it is, my interview with Carolyn Miles. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. We looked actually at um, countries around the world and looked at the state of their uh, health systems, I guess is the easiest way to, to put it, and said, what is the, and we looked at a couple of key indicators, um, you know, things like how many doctors, nurses, and midwives per, you know, 10,000 of population, those kinds of things, how much was spent on health, um, did most mothers or what percentage of mothers had a skilled attendant at birth, those kinds of things. And we looked at actually 72 countries across the index and ranked those countries uh, in terms of their, their health services. Uh, any surprises in there for you? Well, I think, um, I, I guess one of the things that we pulled out in the report is um, that there are many countries, you know, we, the, I think the thing that really got people thinking a little bit about health systems, at least, is the recent crisis in West Africa and the Ebola crisis. And when you look at this report, there are actually many, many countries that are, that are worse off um, than the West African countries, Sierra Leone and um, Liberia and Guinea. And so there's more than 25 countries that are worse off. So that was one of the things I think that struck me um, because this was a time 
time when we actually started to kind of focus on health systems and to say, and to have a real example of what happens if we don't have strong health systems. So to, to think that there are many, many countries that are even worse off um, is a bit scary. Uh, I guess so. I mean, that conclusion seems to suggest that there are a lot of countries that are vulnerable, more vulnerable even than the three countries that were hit by Ebola in West Africa, because, you know, like those three countries that had very weak health systems, uh, there's sort of less, uh, there's less of an opportunity for other countries to sort of stop an outbreak in its tracks. Is that right? That's right. And and particularly if you look, you know, Guinea is pretty far down in the ranking. So so they are they are near the bottom, but for Liberia and Sierra Leone, they're they're kind of in the middle of the ranking. And so uh certainly those countries were quickly overcome um, with something like Ebola. And so this need to really strengthen health systems, I think that's what we're really trying to get across in this report is that it's not um, it, it's not an unimportant thing to talk about. And we've just seen a huge example of what happens when countries aren't, you know, don't have health systems that are functioning very well. Um, so Nigeria ranks at the near bottom of your list. I think it's like the yes. fourth from the last, but it was a country that was able to stop a bull in the tracks. Is that sort of a maybe recognition of sort of the, the disparities within Nigeria that perhaps Ebola struck regions of the countries that had stronger health systems? Well, I think it, it part of it is because of the inequities in Nigeria, and if you if you look inside the data in Nigeria, you have huge inequalities. You have much much better um, access and better health uh, provision in the cities than you do, for example, in the rural areas or in the conflict areas, particularly. Um, but there were a couple things that happened in Nigeria. One was um, there had already been a robust uh, tracking system, actually, to eradicate. Polio in Nigeria. And so the uh, health officials were able to actually use that tracing system and use it in the case of, of really shutting down the outbreak in Nigeria on Ebola. So it goes to show that even if you have a, you know, a relatively quite a weak health system, if there are things in place that can be used, it's, um, it's possible. And the other thing, as I said, is the disparities um, and the infection. The person who was infected um, traveled into Lagos, which is, you know, a place that had better health care probably than other parts of Nigeria, for sure. Um, so your report I think is contributing to a generally higher level of awareness of the importance of health system strengthening to overall health outcomes in countries. I mean, I've spoken to groups like Partners in Health that also have been sounding this alarm. Um, and I think, as you know, the, the Ebola outbreak showed what happens when countries have weak health systems. So I guess so my, my question to you is, are donors and our governments taking the necessary steps yet to address uh, the problem of weak health systems? And, you know, your groups are kind of sounding the alarm, but is the alarm bell being listened to by the major groups like USAID or DFID or, or other organizations? 
Well, I, I don't think that we're quite at that point yet where we're doing the right thing in terms of putting, um, you know, putting the funding and the efforts and the time and energy into those things that are going to most uh, change health systems. And, and one of those uh, certainly is uh, training health workers. And there are countries, um, Ethiopia is a really good example of a country that actually, you know, has taken that one on and they have have moved the needle on on um, you know training health workers, but if you look at where they are, they're still very close to the bottom of the index, and so. You know, you can you you have to take these things on at, at all at the same time, and that's really difficult for poor countries. So I think governments like the U.S., the U.K., Germany, um, other uh, G7 countries, particularly that are focused on these issues, really have to look at what in a particular country is going to make is going to make the biggest difference. And we have to get those governments themselves to also. Um, expend money on on health and to make it a priority inside of their their countries um, and in you know in lots of cases you just don't have enough doctors and nurses and midwives um, in the country I mean that was a big issue in Liberia and in Sierra Leone for example those were places where you had very very few um, health workers I think in in Sierra Leone it was one health worker for every over 5,300 people. So that's and of course, the Ebola outbreak, here. you know, disproportionately affected uh, health workers as well. Um, that's right. That's and so right. it just and sort of sadly, compounded a pre-existing problem, it seemed. That's right. And when I was there in uh, October, so I, I went to Liberia in October and I met a a nurse actually in one of the hospitals that I visited and um, she talked to me about what happened initially. She had, there were 23 nurses in her hospital and 14 of them died in the first six weeks of the outbreak. And because these were people who were dedicated health workers who were trying to help and really didn't know what they were up against at that point in time and um, were just trying to, you know, to serve patients and, and sadly many of them many of them did die. So I guess do you you know there's been a lot of uh, money and effort expended at global health over the last couple decades now, uh, at least the last fifteen years since the advent of the MDGs. But a lot of that money seems to have focused on specific diseases like AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. Do you think that the focus on specific diseases has come at the expense of health systems strengthening as a whole? Well, I think in some cases it has. I mean, sometimes it is about diseases, although, it, you know, you can point to uh, child survival as actually a real um, success factor over the last, you know, since 1990, that, that number of kids that dies under the age of five has actually been cut in half. And that that is, some of that is about uh, focusing on that issue and focusing on mothers and focusing on children and the diseases that, you know, are killing children. Um, but some of that is also about you know, trying to really drive forward that, you know, the mother will have a skilled birth attendant uh, when she gives birth. And if you look at the countries, again, that are still at the bottom, those are countries, when it comes to child mortality, those are countries that haven't really quite tackled that. So some of it is the disease specificity, um, but there are some, there are some bright spots. And, and I would say, you know, child survival is one of those bright spots. Um, so your report sort of makes the case that the antidote to um, uh, disparities in health access uh, d between countries is uh, universal uh, access to health care. 
Um, yeah. What, I guess, is that even realistic? I mean, what would it take in a country like Liberia for Liberians to have universal health care access? Well, I think, you know, part of this is we, t- we think about universal health care um, at, at our standards, right, when we talk about universal health care in this report. And this is really very basic health care that we're talking about um, at community clinics, you know, delivered by community health workers. It's it's not of the same level of what we would think is universal health care, but that can make a huge, huge difference. So it's getting the very basic health care uh, available to all citizens inside a country. And that's actually, that actually is doable. And part of it is about countries really making that commitment. And when it comes to their own budgeting saying, you know, we're really going to put a, a significant amount of our own resources as well as donor resources towards this issue of making sure that basic health services get delivered, not just in the cities, not just to the wealthier parts of our population, but actually out into the rural areas or in the deep urban slums where the poorest people live. And um, we actually believe that's possible with, with, a, with a real focus, certainly possible to do a better job than what we're showing in this index. So this this charge of universal health access or health care coverage is something that I've seen a lot of philanthropies and entities, I think even like the World Bank and others are yes, kind of World coalescing is- around. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any like pilot programs or are there any countries that, that, you know, you wouldn't associate with having, you know, high access uh, coverage that are kind of moving the needle in the right directions that might be models for others and sort of what are they doing correctly? Yeah, I I think there are um, uh, there are some models. I mean, um, India I would say is one, and it, again, it it needs to move up the index. It's at number fifty five, so there's still a lot of disparity. But what India is doing, and they've obviously got both state governments and national governments um, that have to focus on this, but what they're really doing is they're taking this equity lens, and they're really saying, you know, we aren't going to consider. Uh, delivery of healthcare to be successful unless we really are reaching those poorest to reach, and they're starting from that point and and moving out from there, and that's really making a difference. It's uneven. It's not you know every state is not certainly the same, but you can see inside India, which has some of the greatest issues in terms of things like child survival, for example, um, you can see the differences that are being made with that kind of a approach. So I guess what that example suggests to me is that there are real limits to, you know, philanthropies and international donors to what they can do to help a country achieve uh, universal, access, universal access, that it really comes down to whether or not a country is willing to spend like X percent of its GDP on healthcare coverage. Well, that that's certainly, I mean, everybody has to work together on this. I think, um, you know, out, philanthropists and, and foundations like the Gates Foundation and the Hewlett Foundation and others that are really focused on this can, and NGOs like Save the Children, can make a big difference. But governments do have to, they're really the drivers in looking at this equity issue and in trying to, you know, make sure that these resources really do go to the to the poorest children. Um, that's hard to do from the outside. You can only do that, you know, inside a uh, a country, and and governments need to make that a priority. And that's going to be one of the things in the new uh, sustainable development goals. What comes after the MDGs? 
that um, say the children and others are really pushing is that we really need to think about equity and we need to think about the, the most marginalized people when we look at these goals. Well, thank you so much again for speaking with me. Uh, it's always great to catch up with you. You're welcome. Well, thank you all for listening. And if you're new to the podcast, this is a good example of what I post every Thursday, which is a topical conversation with an expert about something newsy. Uh, And every Monday, I post longer interviews with foreign policy thought leaders and luminaries like Miss Carolyn Miles herself about their life and career. They tell me about their intellectual development, their career development, and the ideas, influences, and events that shape their worldview from an early age. You can go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and subscribe uh, via iTunes, via our standalone app. It's all free. Go check it out and we'll see you next time. Bye.